we are honored that you're here today. And uh, this morning, in light of the 40 days of community, to be honest with you, I was really planning this week on doing a, uh, a final wrap-up message on our good morning Holy Spirit. But as I was praying this week, I really felt like the Lord said just to do a little transition message today. And uh, we're going to do a message this morning called Get in the Game. And, and, and to let you know, this is kind of one of those messages uh, that kind of pastors have in their little pastoral box, so to speak. And every couple years, I kind of pull this message out. And, and we change it and we tweak it. But the concept is really the same. And that's really the idea that God is calling us out of the stands to get in the game. And really understanding what that looks like in the context of church, understanding what that looks like in the context of Christianity. And so this morning, I hope, as we've already experienced, how many of y'all thankful for the presence of God that we've already experienced here this morning? Amen. And, and I love the fact that the Holy Spirit is moving and working in our lives and that we get to be a part of what God is doing. So this morning, look with me in Matthew chapter 9, verse 9, a uh, scripture you may be familiar with. It says, as Jesus passed on from there, he saw a man named Matthew sitting at the tax office. And he said to him, follow me. And he said to him, what? So he arose and followed him. So look at that first point. Just a simple thought this morning. Christianity is not about being a fan. It's about being a follower of Jesus. Christianity is not about being a fan. It's about being a follower. And let me just say this to you this morning. We live in a fan-based, fan-driven culture. There is a billion-dollar industry around sporting events today that is geared toward fans, right? And we want to fuel the fans, and we want to fan the fire that fans have, and we want to create all this excitement, all this enthusiasm. And how many know that fans are important? Really, it is exciting when you get in a big group of people and people are shouting and cheering. Hey, even in church on Sunday, come on, somebody. How many know it's exciting when the Spirit of God is moving, people are shouting, people are excited. But here, here's a concept I want to just challenge you with. If we're not careful, we will allow that fan-based mentality to infiltrate the church. And there are way too many people that are Jesus fans, but they're not really Jesus followers. And they got the t-shirt, and I wore my Liberty Church t-shirt this morning just for this statement right here, right? They've got the shirt, right? They got the foam finger that says Jesus is number one. And they come to church on Sunday and they spectate. And they watch the game. And they go home. And they can't wait till next Sunday when the game's on. And they come to church and they watch the game and they go home. And they come to church and they watch the game and they go home. And I want to just challenge you today that Christianity is not about being a fan. Jesus is not calling fans. He's calling followers. He's calling people that will take up their cross daily and follow him. He's, following, he's calling people who will actually get up every day of their life and follow Jesus. And that really is the heartbeat of Christianity. And so I want you to see today that God really is calling us out of the stands. He's calling us onto the playing field because it's time for us to get in the game. Now, as I was thinking about this, Holy Spirit just prompted my heart. He said, Keith, he said, the reason the church has got to get in the game is because we're fighting for some things. How many know we're fighting for some things that really matter? And, and I felt like the Lord showed me three specific things. He said, Keith, first of all, every person in this room today, every person watching online should be fighting for their family. 
Let me just say it like this. If you're not fighting for your family, who is? If you're not fighting spiritually for the salvation and transformation of your family, then who's fighting for your family? Who's praying for them? Who's interceding for them? Who's witnessing to them? Who's discipling them? Who's encouraging them? Who's challenging them? Who's grieving with them? Who's rejoicing with them? If you're not fighting for your family, then who is? And the realization is every person in this room should be fighting for their family. And I love what Joshua said. Joshua stood before the nation of Israel and he said, Choose you this day whom you're going to serve. But as for me and my house... We're going to serve the Lord. As for me and my house, we are going to serve God. Now, that doesn't mean you become a spiritual dictator. But it does mean you become a spiritual leader. We don't need spiritual dictators. But we do need spiritual leaders in our families that are leading our families. Leading them by example. Leading them through prayer. Leading them through study. Leading them by Following Jesus on a daily basis. I heard a testimony after 8 o'clock service this morning. A lady in the church came up to me. She said she overheard her teenage son talking to one of his friends. And he said, you know what? My mom, she's the craziest Jesus follower I know. (laughs) What a wonderful testimony. What a wonderful testimony that our kids would know. Hey, my mom, my dad, they're following Jesus. My mom, my dad, it's not a Sunday thing. It's an everyday thing. It's a Jesus thing. They're living for God. They're serving the Lord. And as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. And we got to fight. For our families, we got to get in the game because we got kids and we got grandkids and we got family. We got brothers and sisters and cousins and mothers and fathers and extended family that are dying and going to hell. We need to remember that. I don't think we say that enough in church. They're dying and going to hell. And somebody's got to fight for them. Somebody's got to get in the trenches. Somebody's got to intercede. Somebody's got to testify. Somebody's got to witness. Somebody's got to do something to fight for their families. So we got to get in the game. We got to follow Christ. We got to be fully engaged in what God is doing. One of my favorite quotes, a little quote I read years ago, a little old lady in our church, Miss Ditto, gave it to me on my very first Father's Day. Little quote she cut out of the paper, and it simply said this Daddy, I am following you, and your actions speak so loud, I can't hear what you say. Your actions speak so loud, I can't hear what you say. How many know talk's cheap? And we got to fight for our families first with our example. With the action of how we're living our lives. Because our actions are speaking so loud. They can't hear what we're saying. But they can see what we are doing. The second thing every one of us in this room should be fighting for. we got to get in the game because we're not just fighting for our family. But we're literally fighting for a world. A lost and dying world. We're fighting for eternal souls. Everybody you know is going to spend eternity somewhere. Everybody you know, the people you like, the people you don't like, the people you love, the people you don't love. Everybody you know is going to spend eternity somewhere in heaven or in hell. 
Your thousands of Facebook friends are all going to spend eternity somewhere. And we need to be fighting for those people. We need to get in the game so they can look at us and see Christ. So they can can see an an example of what it means to be a follower of Jesus Christ. Not just a churchgoer. Not just a quote Sunday morning Christian. But somebody that lives their life to follow Jesus. And then last but not least, this is something I don't know that we think about a lot, but we're fighting for the glory of God. We're fighting for God's glory, for His name, for His name's sake. I I love this scripture. Look with me in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 15. It says, as God's grace reaches more and more people, there will be great thanksgiving, and God will receive more and more glory. The more people we reach the more glory God gets. Listen to that. The more people we reach, the more glory God gets. Now let's flip the coin. If we don't reach anybody, no salvation, no glory. No discipleship, no glory. No community of faith, no glory. The more people we reach, the more glory God gets. We're fighting for the glory of God. And we live in a world and in a culture where most cultures and most communities give God zero glory. The entertainment industry, the government, and then you got the church. The hope of America the local church, the hope of America, the body of Christ, fighting for the glory of God. Do you remember Elijah? Do you remember 450 prophets of Baal? And you know what Elijah did? He fought for the glory of God. He fought for the glory. He was, he was, he was singing seemingly in his mind a solo voice for Christ and for God. And he stood up and he spoke up and he stood out and he prayed fire down from heaven. Because somebody's got to contend for the glory of God. Somebody's got to contend for the name of our Lord and our Savior, Jesus Christ. We're fighting for His glory. It's amazing in the South with good old SEC football that's struggling this year. Somebody can say something bad about your team and you know what people say, man, that's fighting words. And actually, they'll fight. (laughs) They'll fight over the name of their football team. But how many people are fighting for the name of their God? How many people watch a movie and hear some language and say, man, that's fighting words right there. I'm going to turn that off. How many people are fighting for the name of God? That's what we're fighting for, guys. We're fighting for our families. We're fighting We're fighting for the souls of men, and we're fighting for the glory of God. So look at that next point. Let's let's talk about how do we get in the game. So how do we get out of the sands and get in the game? I think really two simple things I want to share with you. The first thing is we have to come out of the dark, and then we have to deal with the fear that keeps us out of the game. We've got to come out of the dark, the darkness of sin, self, and Satan, and then we've got to deal with the fear that keeps us from getting in the game. John chapter 8 verse 12. And Jesus spoke to them again saying, I am the light of the world. He who what? Follows me. He who 
follows me shall not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. So the first step of following Christ is coming out of the darkness of our sin, repenting of our sin, accepting Jesus Christ, and following him the light of the world. we got to come out of the dark and accept Christ. I would dare to say probably most of us in this room today have probably done that, but the truth is probably not all of us in the room today and definitely not all of you watching me online today have made that decision to come out of the darkness of sin and self and start walking in the light of Christ by following Jesus. I'm not talking about being a Jesus fan and going to church. I'm talking about being a follower of Christ where Jesus becomes your Lord and your Savior. Lordship declares ownership over your life. The Bible says we've been bought with a price. We are not our own. Therefore, glorify God in your body and your spirit, which both belong to God. You've been purchased by the blood of the Lamb. And coming out of the dark into the light of following Christ is the first step. I've got to be born again. That's what Jesus said. And if you're here today or you're watching online and you've never been born again, before we close this service today, you're going to have an opportunity to say, I want to follow Jesus. I want to be born again and follow him for the rest of my life. The second step that has to happen is we have to deal with the fear because this is what the Lord said to me. He said, Keith, there are a lot of people that have they've come out of the dark, but they still haven't gotten in the game. They've come out of the dark, and they're on the team. They're on Team Jesus, but they're still standing on the sidelines. And he said the number one barrier to people connecting in a life-giving way is fear. I want to give you two scriptures about fear this morning. Look at 1 John chapter 4, verse 18. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear because fear involves torment. How many know that where there's fear, there's torment? When you're fearful of anything, you become tormented by the very thing you're afraid of. And the realization is most of us, we get uncomfortable. And when we get uncomfortable and we get outside of our comfort zone, instead of pressing through the fear, we ended up pulling back. Right? I've got to press through in faith. I've got to push through the fear. Every one of us in this room can testify of many times in your life where you face fear and you did it anyway. And you come out on the other side so thankful for the person you've become because of that. So thankful that you took a step of faith. So thankful that you faced a fear and you pushed through it. Perfect love cast out fear, for fear involves torment. But he who fears has not been made perfect in love. 2 Timothy 1 verse 7, For God has not given us a spirit of fear. You know what that tells us? It tells us there is a spirit of fear. There's an emotion of fear, and then there is a spirit of fear that is demonic that wants to disconnect you from the purpose and plan of God. God has not given us a spirit of fear, but a power and love and a sound mind, right? God has given us power, love, and sound mind. He's given us the capacity and the ability and the grace and the strength to press through our fears. And I love what Joyce Myers says. She says, sometimes you've just got to do what God's called you to do, and you've got to do it even when you're afraid. Let me tell you one of the biggest fears I see in the body of Christ. It is the fear of rejection. Next Sunday, we're going to kick off our 40 days of community, a small group thrust 
for our entire church. And our goal is 100% participation. If you're in this room today, then my prayer and desire is that you will be in a small group for the next 40 days starting next week. Six weeks, 40 days, think about that. Six weeks, 40 days, making a commitment to connect with a small group of believers in Liberty Church so you can grow in the grace and knowledge of Jesus Christ and so you can cultivate friendships and relationships that will change your life forever. And guess what? When the church grows spiritually and internally, we also grow externally as we reach out into a world that desperately needs the gospel. But it's that fear of rejection. It's that fear of being known. It's that fear of what if I engage? What if I take that step? What if I put myself out there and it just don't work? What if I just don't fit in? Well, I got a Bible verse for you. How about that? Look with me in Ephesians 4. Ephesians 4 verse 15 and 16 says this. It says, instead we will speak the truth in love, growing in every way more and more like Christ who is the head of his body, the church. And he makes the whole body fit together perfectly. I'm going to stop right there. He makes the whole body fit together perfectly. I can't tell you how many people I've talked to over the years that said, Pastor Keith, I really love Jesus. I love God. I love Jesus. I just don't fit in the local church. Well, according to the word of God, either you're right or God's right. Because the Bible says that Jesus makes every part of the body fit together perfectly. And the reason that people think they don't fit is because they've believed the lie of the enemy. They believe the lie of the enemy. It says, I just don't fit. I love God, but I just don't fit. I love God, I just don't fit. The Bible says God, Jesus, makes the church fit together perfectly. There is a place for you, not only in the body of Christ, but I believe in this local body of Christ here at Liberty Church. You were created by God to fit. You were created by God to have a part to play in what God is doing in the earth. And that fear of rejection... That fear of the enemy that wants to keep you disconnected and isolated and separated. You've heard me say it many times. If you live in isolation and separation, the devil will beat your brains out. (laughs) He'll beat your brains out. You'll lose. I just promise you. That's not a prophetic word, but it is truth. You'll lose. When you live in isolation and separation from the body of Christ. You know what the Bible says in 1 John? In 1 John the Bible says this. It says if we walk in the light as he is in the light, then we will have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus Christ's son will cleanse you of all sin. So think about it like this. Walking in the light means walking in fellowship with one another. If I'm not walking in fellowship, then I'm not walking in the fullness of the light that God intended me to walk in. Because there is an illumination. I want you to hear this. There is an illumination from Christ that comes from the body. We all bring a unique expression of who Jesus is into the mix of the body of Christ. And we're going to talk in just a few minutes how significant it is that there be diversity and not just conformity in the church. We need a diverse church. 
not a conformed church where everybody looks like me or looks like you. Because the goal is to look more and more like Jesus. Can I get an amen? So look what Paul says. He makes the whole body fit together perfectly. As each part does its own special work, it helps the other parts grow so that the whole body is healthy, growing, and full of love. One of my confessions I make over Liberty Church regularly is simply this. God, I thank you that Liberty Church is healthy, growing, and full of love. A healthy church is a growing church. And a healthy church that's growing has to be filled with the love of God because if you're not filled with the love of God, you're not healthy and you won't grow. And so, Lord, I thank you. That's my confession. Lord, I thank you that Liberty Church is a healthy, growing church that is full of the love of Jesus Christ. And the more healthy we are, the more we'll grow. And the more health and growth we have, the more love of God will be seen. And the more people that experience the love of God, the more glory God will get. Because it all matters. Amen? So look at that next point. We call this our connection question here at Liberty Church. It's just kind of a little thought that I kind of tuck back in my mind as I'm talking, interacting with people. Here's the question. What team are you on and what group are you in? See, as a pastor, I know this. After 31 years, Kelly and I have been pastoring for 31 years. After 31 years of pastoral ministry, this is what I know. If a person is serving on a ministry team and connected to a small group, then they are typically in a place where they can be healthy and growing and develop into what God has called them to be. The health, let me say a bold statement to you this morning. The health and growth of a church is not determined by its Sunday morning attendance. The health and growth of a local church is determined by its small group connection. Because it's in the context of relationships that we grow. It's in the context of relationship that we flourish. We learn in roles. John Wesley said it this morning. But we connect and we grow in circles. And we need to learn. Let me tell you something. Sunday morning is huge, right? Every, every pastor on planet earth prays for a, a large Sunday morning attendance, right? I've never met one that prayed opposite to that, right? We all want to fill every chair and every pew and see every person come, and we want to keep blowing this place up. And I love Sunday morning tenants, and I believe, I believe two things about Liberty Church that are true, I think, for every church. Churches have to always be growing smaller, so churches can always be growing larger. You got to grow smaller through small groups and ministry, and you got to grow larger through your outreach and Sunday morning worship attendance. As we grow smaller, we grow larger. As we grow smaller, we grow larger. As we grow smaller, we grow larger. And the moment we stop growing smaller is the moment we stop growing larger. Because community and connection happens in that context of relationship. And relationship happens in the context of ministry teams and small group environments. So, let's talk about those two things. What is a ministry team here at Liberty Church? Let me just give you a little definition. A ministry team is where we labor together and where we win together. We labor together and we win together. And I use that word labor specifically because in Matthew 9, Jesus said, The harvest truly is, is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. I said this, I've been saying this for about three months now. The harvest doesn't come in, the harvest has to be brought in. 
And what does it mean to be a part of a ministry team? It means that you're a part of a team where we're laboring together. Whether it's ushers or media or worship or children or youth or celebrate recovery or outreach or missions, we're working together. Whether, no matter what it is, we're working together. Why? Because we want to win souls, make disciples, and destroy the works of the devil. Ministry matters, and Liberty Church exists. To win souls, make disciples, and destroy the works of the devil. That's why we're here. This is not a Sunday morning social club. Right? This is a spiritual army. We are the body of Christ, and we exist to see people come to Christ, come out of darkness into the light of Jesus. We exist to see people discipled and grow in their relationship with God. And we exist to see people get saved and set free from the strongholds and the power of the enemy. Marriage is restored, addictions broken, and lives changed because of who Jesus is. That's why we exist. And part of the expression of that is our ministry teams. When somebody walks, literally, let me back it up, not when they walk in the door. When somebody drives on the property of Liberty Church, everything they see, experience, and touch should be done with a spirit of excellence, driven and compelled by people who have a heart for God and a heart for people who love God and love people enough to lay down their lives to labor for the work of the kingdom. And if you're not laboring and serving on a ministry team, I want to challenge you today. Get connected. How do we do that? We do that really simply if you're new to Liberty. Through our connection track, you see it every Sunday, right? Step one, step two, step three. Every, it starts the first Sunday of every month, our connection track. It's just a simple way, number one, for you to join Liberty Church. And number two, for you to get connected to a ministry team where you can begin to serve and labor together with other people. Years, years ago, the Lord gave me this thought, and I'm just going to reshare it this morning. He said, Keith, he said, do you realize that for every, every person, how many of you in here today uh, are going to get up tomorrow morning and go to work? Let me see your hand. That's awesome. So how many of you know that when you're going to get up and go to work, if you don't show up, if you don't show up to work tomorrow, you better call somebody. Right? If you don't show up to work tomorrow, you better call somebody. Do you know why? Because you're a part of a team, and people are counting on you. Now, let me flip that coin for just a minute. If you can come to church on Sunday morning, or if you can decide not to come to church on Sunday morning, and you don't have to call somebody, then who's counting on you? If you can get up on Sunday morning and decide you're not going to church and you don't have to call somebody and say, hey, I'm not going to be there today because the kids are sick, then are you a spectator or a participator? Are you a fan or a follower? Are you watching the show or are you making it happen? Now, I understand we have rotating teams and everybody don't work every Sunday. So don't say, well, Pastor Keith, it wasn't my Sunday. That's why I didn't call. I got, I got you, okay? I got you. But I hope you get me, right? I hope that when, you, when you're on a team, right? When you're in the game and you're on a team, you can't just not show up. Somebody's counting on you. And we need to be that way in the church. Ministry matters. What we do matters inside this church, outside the walls of this church. It all matters. And I would encourage you to get on a team, begin to serve, begin to labor together. You're going to find some awesome people. You're going to build some friendships and some relationships. But most important, let me just tell you something. Most importantly, we're going to, we're going to, we're going to reach a world 
with the gospel of Jesus Christ. Because the stronger the church, the greater the impact we have in the community. The stronger the church, the greater the impact. Let me just tell you something today. We got a lot of weak churches that are not strong in spirit and therefore they're weak in influence. Liberty Church decided 25 years ago when we opened the doors of this church, we're not going to be that church. We're going to be a strong church that's going to influence our community. We're going to make a difference outside the walls of this church because we're making a difference inside the walls of this church. We gather to grow and we grow so we can go into all the world and make disciples of Jesus Christ. Amen. Y'all still with me? Now look at that next point. This is where we really wanted to get all day today. Praise the Lord. Here we are. Let's talk about small groups. What is a small group? A small group is, a commu- is, is, is where community happens and somebody knows your name. It's where community happens and somebody knows your name. You've heard me say it before and I'll say it again today. You can worship with somebody for three years and never know the name of the person worshiping in front of you. But you can't go to small group for more than one week and somebody will know your name. You can worship for years and never know the name of the person in front of you. But you go to one small group, and you know what will happen? After one small group, somebody will know your name. And that's huge. Because we are the body of Christ, and we are connected together, and we need each other. And that is huge. We have got to be connected to community. we got to know each other. You know what Jesus said? Jesus said, the good shepherd knows his sheep, and he calls them by name. See, we're really only shepherding the people we know their name. And when we begin to know each other's names, we can care for one another. We can minister to one another. We can help each other. Eight o'clock service, which is our smaller service, about 35, 45 people. I challenged them. I said, what if we just flipped our little outlines over this morning and I asked you to write down the names of the people that you're worshiping with this morning? How many names could you write down? I wonder how many of you could write down the names of people you're worshiping. What about, could you name the people on your roll? Could you name the people that are sitting in front of you? I'm glad y'all are looking, think about it. That's a good thing. Let, let me take you a step further. When you get in community, not only do they know your name, they know your kids. When you get in a small group community, you don't just know each other's name. You start knowing each other's family. You start talking about our kids and our grandkids and, and all, all our little family unit. You start understanding those dynamics of family. Now look down that roll and think, how many people could you write down their name and write down the names of their kids? That just took it to a whole nother level, didn't it? Unless you're sitting on a roll by yourself, you're probably in trouble. But not only do they know your name, they know your kids, right? They know your successes. Look down that row and think, can you write down the name of what each person on that row does for a living? Do you know their occupation? Do you know their vocation? Do you know what they get up and do 40, 50, 60 hours every week? Most people don't. But when you get in a small group, you know what will happen? You'll know. You'll know what they do. You'll know where they go. You'll know if you need your yard mode, you call John Wesley. Free plug, brother. I love you. 
If you need a garage door, you call Chris McCorder or Brian can help you out. Is that right? You know those things, right? Because you're in relationship. And then, then last but not least, when you get in a small group, not only do you know their name, you know their kids, you know their successes, you know their struggles. Let me tell you what's true about every family. Every family has struggles. Every family has struggles. Our family has struggles. Every family has struggles. There's nobody exempt from the struggles and trials and tribulations of life. No one. We all have them. And Kelly and I, over the last several years, we've, we've hosted a uh, couples small group. We didn't do it this past year, but for a couple years before that. And at the end of our small group with our, with our couples, we would always ask this question, what was your greatest takeaway? And almost nine times out of ten, they would say, my greatest takeaway was I realized that we weren't alone. And that Pastor Keith, you and, you and even you and Pastor Kelly have some of the same problems that we have. And your family's dealing with some of the same stuff we're dealing with. And we're not, we're not the only people working through this stuff. Their biggest takeaway was that they weren't alone. Because there was somebody in the struggle with them. That doesn't happen as much as I love Sunday morning. That doesn't happen on Sunday morning. But it happens in a small group. We pray for one another. We encourage one another. We help each other. There's so many great stories. I have the privilege, Kelly and I, of knowing many of the stories in this room, many of the successes and the, and the struggles. And there's so many amazing people in this room today. And the sad thing is, is most of you do, are not having an opportunity to share your success and share your struggles and share your life with other people. And that happens in small groups. And it's a game changer. It's a game changer to know, hey, I'm not alone. Now, I want you to look with me in 1 Corinthians chapter 12. Because in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, the Apostle Paul does a beautiful job of just outlining this picture of community. Look what he says. He says, the human body has many parts. But the many parts make up one whole body. And so it is with the body of Christ. And some of us are Jews. And some are Gentiles, and some are Alabama fans, and some are Auburn fans, and some are slaves, and some are free. But we have all been baptized into one body by one spirit, and we all share the same spirit. Now this message is not on the Holy Spirit, but isn't it interesting? There we see the work of the Holy Spirit. We are all baptized by one spirit into one body, and we all share the same spirit. And the Holy Spirit is called the spirit of adoption, whereby we cry out, Abba, Father. So guess what? We all have the same Father, so we're all the same family. Welcome to the family. Right? Welcome to the family. Because the Holy Spirit lives in each of us. The same spirit has adopted all of us into the family. And how beautiful it is. And the beauty of the church is found in the community of the church. Let me say that again. The beauty of the church is found in the community of the church. As we come together and begin to live life together. Look what else he says. What, what a beautiful scripture here. He says, verse 14. Yes, the body has many different parts, not just one part. And if the foot says, I'm not a part of the body because I'm not a hand, does that make it any less a part of the body? 
And if the ear says, I'm not a part of the body because I'm not an eye, would that make it any less a part of the body? And if the whole body were an eye, how would you hear? And if your whole body were an ear, how would you smell anything? But our bodies have many parts, and God has put each part just where He wants it. And look at verse 19. And how strange a body would be if it only had one part. How strange a body would be if it only had one part. The goal of the church in Christianity is not conformity. It is harmony and community. It's different parts coming together for one glory, and that is the glory of God. And Paul says how strange the body would be if it was just one part. Let me, let me tell you a temptation that happens to churches. A temptation is, is that all the eyeballs want to get together. And we say, we're going to just gather all the prophetic people and we're going to have a prophetic church. And then this other group says, no, 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 no. We're going to gather all the worshiping people and we're going to have a worshiping church. And then all the praying people say, no, 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 no. We're going to gather all the praying people and we're going to have a praying church. And then all the word people say, no, 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 no. We're going to grab all the people that love the word of God and we're going to have a word church. And then they say, oh, no, no, we're going to have a faith church. And all of those are wrong. All of those are wrong. There's no such thing as a prophetic church, a worshiping church, a praying church, a faith church, a word church. If you have any of those things all by themselves, that's not the church. How strange it would be if we were just all one part of one unit of the body. That's not the church. The church is when the prophetic people and the praying people and the word people and the faith people and the service people and the giving people and all the other people get together in one place and say, I don't look like you and I don't have the same gifts you have and I don't even have the same passions you have, but we serve the same God and we're part of the same body and we're going to work together as many members of one body and we're going to reach a world that needs Jesus. That's the church. And that's what we're called to. I was watching that little video, and Samantha talked about learning from different people. How many of you know that younger people need older people? And older people need younger people. And everybody needs everybody. Because we are the body of Christ. We are the body of Christ. I, I want to close with the last two verses of that chapter. Verse 25 and verse 26, not the chapter, but the last two verses you have on your outline. Listen to what Paul says. He says, God has joined us all together in this special way, and this makes for harmony among the members so that all the members care for each other. And if one part suffers, all parts suffer with it. And if one part is honored, all the parts are glad. If one part suffer, we all suffer. And if one part is honored, we're all glad and rejoice and share in that honor. Why? Because we are the body of Christ. Tell you this one little funny right here. We're going to get ready to pray. 
I was greeting at the front door this morning, and a young girl, probably about five years old, coming to church for the first time. And I was talking to her, gave her a little high five. She saw this little band-aid on my arm, and she asked me, what happened? And I said, well, I cut myself. And with deep care in her eyes, she said, are you okay? That's the church. That when one member hurts, we all hurt. When one member rejoices, we all rejoice because we are the body. So I want you to stand to your feet this morning. I want to ask our prayer teams if they would to come. We're going to go into a final song of worship this morning. And I just want to open the altar. I don't know what God's saying to you right now. I don't know specifically what may be going on. Maybe there's a success. Maybe there's a struggle. Maybe there's a pain. Maybe there's a problem. Maybe there's a person right now that's weighing on your heart that you want to pray for. But I just want to open the altar. But as we go into this last song of worship, if you, if you need prayer, our prayer teams would love to pray with you. If you need to just come and get in the altar, you can come and get in the altar. As we said last Sunday, let's just say it again today. Respond to the Holy Spirit. I don't know what God is saying to you right now, but whatever He's saying to you, if there's a drawing and a stirring for you to come and pray, we want to pray with you this morning. If you've got a little boo-boo on your heart, like my arm, it may not heal as easy as my arm heals, but I want to tell you something. There's a healer that loves you. And you may have a broken heart this morning. God wants to heal your heart. You may be battling with fear. God wants to set you free from fear. You may be going through some marital turmoil right now. God wants to bring restoration to your marriage. You may have a family member right now that's just running as hard from God as they can run. And you want to just come this morning and stand in the gap for that person. And say, God, I'm going to call them out of darkness today into your light. So right now, let's just go into this last song and let's worship him. The altar's open. If you need prayer, you come.